Welcome to the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Here's your host, Paul Hudrick. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Coming In For A Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I am joined by one of the many fine contributors at Liberty Ballers, and he's also a fine contributor to many other places. He wrote a great piece on Joel Embiid recently. Uh, and that is the great Jackson Frank. Jackson, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's good to talk to you. It's been a little bit. Yeah, it has been. I'm, I'm happy to come on and talk about uh, the Sixers who have a lot of uh, stuff revolving around them. Some of it good, some of it confusing, but uh, all of it is <laughs> engaging at the very least. Yes, Enga- it's a good way to put it. I mean, that, and we're not even going to touch on uh, Color World today. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's still very interesting. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about Joel Embiid and his performance against the Magic, putting off 50 points and just how special he was and the ridiculous stats he produced in historical context of that night and just touch a little bit on his his uniqueness and the kind of year he's having and then of course we have to touch on ben simmons and you know maybe some of the more unpleasant things that you were referring to as far as the rumors uh everything still being out there still very much um a lot to decide you would think between now and february 10th of the trade deadline and whether that happens Darren Worry had some interesting comments today on uh, he was a guest of the Mike Missinelli show in 97.5 The Fanatic. And just uh, I want to get Jackson's thoughts for sure on how he views a potential deal with a team like the Kings and whether he thinks Maury's comments make it more or less likely uh, for a Ben Simmons trade to go down before the deadline. But first, Jackson, we got to get into Embiid. It's just such a ridiculous performance. 50 points, 12 rebounds. He does it in 27 minutes. It only takes him 23 shots from the field. Um, just you're watching the game last night and just your impressions of Embiid, you know, just overall is, is the, the entire night. And as you're watching it kind of all unfold. Yeah. I mean, it feels like during this run, however far you want to date it back, you could go to his, his first game when he came back from COVID, you could go to the first Hornets game. He had a couple of, couple of poor outings after that that Timberwolves game. But during this run, it just felt like it's been an encapsulation of everything you can do offensively. And that game last night, you know, that game on, on Wednesday felt very much like a concentrated summary of what he's doing. You know, he had a couple of really nice passes to cutters uh, for a couple of assists. He hit pull-up jumpers. He had a step back three. He had one of those patented coast-to-coast scores that he seems to have, you know, three or four times a week at a minimum. You know, um, he had the deep seals. He had a quick, quick spin on Robin Lopez and looked like Lopez tried to kind of pull the chair and, and B was a little rattled, but stayed composed and hit kind of a reverse layup. So it uh, just felt like the full repertoire of what Joel's really developed in his game, especially the last two years, but over every year he's been in the NBA, basically. Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's the magic who, you know, aren't, you know, are arguably the worst team in the league and they don't have a great center rotation, but, um, you don't, you don't fall, you don't luck into to, to 50 points, 27 minutes, regardless of the opponent. And so I just thought it was a really, you know, if you're looking for one, one game to, to watch what makes Joel so awesome offensively these days, even defensively, I think you could argue as well, that would be the game. Of course, the opponent's not great, but it just felt like he showcased everything that he offers, you know, these days on both ends and what makes him a guy who, you know, is a, is a very much a credible MVP candidate for the second straight year. Yeah, and I think the easy pushback for someone who would kind of try to discredit it for saying, oh, it's just the magic is, well, no one did it before to the magic. So, <laughs> um, and no one has done it in the past to a, you know, the only guy that scored 50 points in 
less time was Clay Thompson in NBA history. Um, so, um, you know, to score 50 in, a, in, in that sort of a period of time. So there have been plenty of opportunities for great players against very bad teams to do such a thing as, as what Joel and B last night, and they have not done it. So uh, that would be my argument there. But I think it's an excellent point you make about just the whole repertoire that's at his disposal right now. And I keep harking, harping back to the fact that I, he's in such terrific shape and I think a lot of the things that he's doing now, it's a direct result of that. Um, you mentioned like that one play against Lopez where he does a spin and then he just kind of gathers himself and it has that little finish, uh, you know, over his head in years past. I mean, he might've just honestly fallen on his face. Like that might've been what happens there because he just didn't have that balance. Didn't have that coordination because maybe he wasn't in the best shape You talk about the coast to coast place. And you're right. It seems like a nightly thing. There's at least one, Joel Embiid coast to coast play that makes you say, wow, every single night. And is that something that he, you know, one is certainly a skill. He's just gotten better. But then two, I think just having the energy to do that, to grab the ball off the, off the rim and then just go. And then of course, opportunity as well with no Ben Simmons around right now. Um, and then, yeah, the repositioning is another thing you brought up. And I think that also has to do with stamina as well. The ability to get really good post position and then you get double teamed and you have to kick it out. And instead of getting discouraged, um, you just, you seal, you know, you, you seal your guy in even deeper and you get the ball right back and you get an even easier basket. Um, so just, I think all of those things, clearly it's a, it's an advancement of skill. It's a progression of skill. But then I think also his physical stamina, I think is, is heavily factored in that equation. I think it's a big part of the reason of why he's kind of elevated his game to an even higher level than last year when he was the runner up for MVP and you touched on defense. And I, I think you and I have kind of talked about this before where it's like sometimes because he has a night like he did last night where he scores 50 points and he's so good um, on that end of the floor, you almost lose sight of how good he is defensively, especially this season. Um, like, He's just kind of starting to get his name into the MVP conversation. That's happening. But I think you can make a legitimate argue that, argument that he should probably have his name in the defensive player of the year conversations because he has been that good at deterring shots at the rim and just doing so many different things. You saw the adjustment they made on, on Mobamba in the second half, kind of trapping that pick and roll and not allowing him to kind of just pop for threes. And that's possible because of how good Joel is to kind of, you know, showing to the guard and getting back on Bomber real quick. So he doesn't get hit for a quick roll. But I guess I'll, I'll ask it in like two separate, two separate questions here. One, do you think that that's a thing that we maybe overlook how good his defense is because of how good his offense is? And then the second part of that is, is there a player? I mean, Giannis, maybe like, is there a play, a better two way player in the NBA going right now? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everyone understands how good Joel is defensively in a broad, in a broad sense. Um, you know, he's been in all NBA level defender since the day he set foot on an NBA court. Um, but I do think it's almost, you know, if you're not watching him every night and covering him, you know, or just watching, covering whatever it is, whatever your role is with the Sixers, you know, relationship, then he probably does go overlooked a little bit. I, I've been so impressed with the defensive versatility the last couple of years. I mean, they've they've really kind of broadened what sorts of pick and roll coverages they're comfortable with since Dan Burke arrived. And especially over the last three weeks, I want to say it feels like Joel is showing a lot more, even trapping sometimes. And uh, obviously he's still great in drop. I thought that was a key area of improvement last year defensively is he just felt better equipped to handle pick and roll. 
playing drop coverage. But now, I mean, they're having him, you know, show a lot, play above the three-point line. As you mentioned, you know, as much as Joel's offense turned that game in the third quarter when they outscored the the uh, the Magic 47-23, his defense did too because Bombo, they couldn't get the ball to Bombo on the pop. And they 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 had Bombo rolling a lot more for some reason it seemed in that third quarter. But um, they also couldn't get the ball to him on the roll against an undersized, you know, help defender because Joel and whoever the, the primary ball handler defender uh, couldn't find a passing angle there before the defense kind of recovered. So um, I feel like it's definitely gone overlooked a little bit. That was what was so interesting before he dealt with COVID was every three weeks, you know, the offense wasn't as good, but the defense I thought was incredible. And, you know, I think he's been a little more inconsistent on defense since returning from COVID, but not, not to levels that, you know, really diminish him overall. And uh, I think, you know, I'd have to think more deeply about who's the defensive player of the year conversation, obviously Giannis, Draymond Green, Draymond's, I think, you know, probably the favorite, but also he's unfortunately got kind of a looming injury. So you don't know what happens there moving forward. Uh, and with the two-way player conversation, I think it's always interesting because, you know, sometimes two people, not, you're not doing this, but sometimes people use two-way player as like a, as a moniker for best player. But I try to, I try to distinguish it as like who offers the most plus impact on both sides of the floor. And I think, I think the guys you'd be looking at are, you know, this year, at least it would be for Giannis first MB. I think, LeBron has been really good offensively and that you've seen stretches of awesome defense, but he, you know, I think the last couple of weeks has been a little more hit or miss uh, on that end. I think Jokic obviously has taken a huge step forward defensively this year. He's way more active. He's, he can even move on switches a little bit, but he still doesn't, you know, approach Joel on that end. Obviously I think you take, you take Joel, you take Jokic over Joel offensively. So um, to me, it would be those three guys, you know, those three guys, but I would lean with one of Giannis or Embiid. And I guess the way that maybe I would take out Jokic from that conversation is, is like, there's a guy who's maybe an MVP caliber player and also an all-NBA, all all-defense caliber guy. And as good as Jokic has been defensively, in my opinion, I don't think he's quite at that level right now, whereas Giannis and Embiid are. So um, I think he's absolutely in that discussion. And, I mean, he's he's been playing basketball as well as anyone you know, around the league for the last five, six weeks, I would say, generally since he came back from COVID two months ago now. Uh, and I think, yeah, you'd have to go between him and Giannis. And I don't think there's a wrong answer, which is really, really cool because Giannis is playing as well as he's ever played in his career, I think, in the regular season, roughly. Uh, and is a two-time MVP, and we know all about Giannis. And Joel is right there in that conversation for, you know, whatever you wanted to find as two-way player or best player in the league. And that's, that's really, really big accomplishment for Joel. And it's, it's really been fun to watch. It's wild that when we talk about like, so Joel Embiid was the runner up last year for MVP. He's looks better this year than he did last year. Jokic won the MVP. He looks better this year than he did last year. Um, Giannis is a two time MVP and could easily be in that conversation again. You know, KD and Steph are, you know, in their it kind of like, I don't want to call it a renaissance because they've never stopped being great, but <laughs> they're having you know, two of their better seasons. I mean, Steph has really, he's fallen off quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. He's in a bit of a slump, but then in KD is obviously not hurt, but the level that they were both playing at, I mean, it, it, it was at like as good as they've ever been in their career. So it's just kind of cool to see all of these guys, just like as great as they were they're they're improving and become, and I guess that's part of what makes them great, right? Is that they never really stop improving. They just keep getting better and better and better. And it, it's it, it's such a cool thing for NBA fans in general to see that. And especially, like you said, for Sixers fans to get to watch Joel Embiid every night and have him be considered right now uh, one of, if not the best player on the planet. It, it's pretty 
remarkable. And it kind of makes it all worthwhile. Um, you know, all the kind of highs and lows that Sixers fans have kind of gone gone through all these years. Having a guy like that, it just it it to me at least it, it makes all of the all of the hardships kind of worth it that you get to watch a guy like this on a nightly basis. Um, and it's you know it's something I'm kind of working on with the piece, and I guess I'm teasing it and spoiling it a little bit at the same time by having this discussion. But whatever, um, the uniqueness of Embiid because it's it's so bizarre, like we that term unicorn kind of gets thrown out there a lot, but like truly man, like he really is um, for a seven footer who can beat you up with brute force. You could basically like literally play like Shaq it, it really at, at any moment he wants. Um, and if they called fouls like they did in the nineties, when Shaq played, then maybe Joe could get away with more. Um, and then to have the skill of not just like, you know, I, like Hakeem's the popular one, and I get it, because Hakeem, as far as pure centers go, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a more skilled guy um, that came before him from the center position. But, like, he does stuff like a guard. Like, we saw Drew Hanlon post a video of the mashup, and Embiid shared it, where it's, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Embiid, and some of the similar moves that are out now in Joel's bag, and how it's gone from, to me, like, not to get too far in the weeds on it, but like we were kind of questioning, you know, when, when Joel was first coming up, like how good he was going to be and if he was going to be healthy and, you know, you, you worry about a big man. And as he gets older, but as we sit here, he's 28 years old. He's in the best shape he's ever been. And that game, because for me, Jackson, I know you're younger than me, so you probably don't remember, but like I saw the end of Michael Jordan's career and he was still great, but he was different. And he just, that mid-range game, he was just so friggin' automatic from the mid-range. And he would do kind of what Embiid does. He would post people up maybe 10 feet away from the basket and then bang fadeaways on them all game long. So I say that to just kind of suggest that Joel Embiid's game, I think, has the potential to actually age well, um, even if you know he's not quite as athletic as, as he is right now or if he slows down a little bit. His game should age well. Um, and I guess... And then last night or, you know, Wednesday night, Doc compared him to a combination of Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Garnett. I think one would have sufficed as far as a compliment, but to to throw both Hall of Famers in there. So I guess just from your standpoint, Jackson, like how can you put in the context, like, like can you compare him to anybody? Can, like what do you like when you watch him and you kind of put his whole career in, into context and, and what he has become, like how, how, how do you kind of like see it and how do you see his future? Yeah. I mean, I think offensively you hit it on the nail that like he, he is going to age pretty well. I think defensively I have a little more concerns just with how, like how much his mobility is important to what he can do. And I think he'll still be good for a while because he's got great technique as a rim protector. One of the things that I think is underrated that I, I mentioned in an article I wrote about on you know, at the start of the week is that he like never like gets into foul trouble anymore. He hasn't had, I think we're almost like 40, like 40 games since he's had at least five, even five fouls. Maybe that streak broke. I think he did. He have, he have four or five against the Wizards. I can't recall, but he hasn't fouled out of the game in like, like since the bubble. Um, I think that's I think important he had four too. Against but, the Wizards the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't think, like, I think he hasn't had five, I think in like, you know, in, in a long time, at least I think, I think it's like up to 40 games now. And like when he was a rookie, he ever like seven fouls per 100 possessions, a bunch of blocks, but he's figured out how to impact the game in that way. So I think even if the defense maybe slides a little bit, as you get told her, the offense is going to age well. I fully expect 
a guy like Joel to you know become a even like a once he's not the centerpiece of an offense because he's just not good enough. Eventually, I expect him to be a really really awesome you know uh, stretch big who can also make awesome passes. Like I, I expect thirty three year old Joel Embiid to be you know that that center who just spaces the floor and can make the the great passes for a big man and just make it where then also you know anchor the anchor the defense pretty well. Um, but I think it's it's cool, you know, I, I never want to get bogged down in the stats, but it's cool to look at some of his, like, just his statistics and whatnot. I'm looking at synergy. Like, he's a guy who leads the NBA in post-ups. Uh, oh, he's almost had 300 possessions almost through 33 games, or about 90 game, uh, is one of the most efficient post-scorers in the NBA. Also has almost 10% of his stuff coming in transition. And that's not, and if you watch him like we do, that's not him just, like, being the trailer and, like, finishing lobs, right? That's him igniting the break. Uh, and he ranks in the 73rd percentile on that. And then he also takes almost about 25% of his shots off the dribble in the half court and ranks in the 77th percentile on that. So you're looking at a guy who can post up, he can pull up off the dribble, he can lead the break. We know about his passing, now we know about his defense. Like it's just a it's just a unique player. And I think you're mentioning all these different guys that are at the top of the league right now: Steph, KD, Giannis, Jokic, LeBron, and Embiid. They're all different, right? Like it's not, we don't, I mean, you, I think there are some similarities, especially between maybe like you would see some of the the way Joel attacks from the perimeter can be somewhat similar to Giannis. The way he works the mid-range so well can be similar to, uh, you know, a guy like Jokic, but they're all different. I think that's really, really fun. And so uh, it's just been really impressive to see the way Joel's adapted his game. I mean, he just, he just figures out what is his biggest weakness and, you know, and, and addresses it. And I think like, it's just, it's just cool that I think, you know, I guess, keep I think I, Let's back. Okay. I, I am very impressed with the way he reads the game now, reads the floor. I think he's always been there defensively, but offensively, I think that's something that's tougher to improve. And Joel has really improved there. Just the way he handles doubles, the way he he just he just sees the floor, sees everyone around him. Uh, he, had a, he had that play last night, or I guess Wednesday, uh, where I think they ran like a pick and pop or whatever. Joel was on the perimeter. He passed fake to the defender, bid on it. He had an open driving lane. Tobias cut from the baseline and he found Tobias and had an and one. Like that's not something I think Joel was doing last year. I think he was awesome last year, but the ability to work off the ball, just say, okay, I'm going to stand on the wing and if the ball swings my way. I'll make it work. And then to open the driving lane and then find Tobias on the move. is just, an, just a really, really impressive play. So um, I just can't say enough good things about the way he's playing, the way he's improved every year. And um, I think it just, it gets you to a point where, you know, in years past, I felt like, yeah, the Sixers are going to have a pretty good chance if Joel suits up, but it wasn't, it wasn't infallible, right? Like it, it, this year, it feels like legitimately every time Joel Embiid suits up, they have a chance to beat anyone. And you can say that most of the time throughout Joel's career, but I think it was a little bit hyperbolic. Nowadays, I really don't like, obviously he's going to need the guys around. Like he can't, he can't suit up with four blue coat players and make it work. Right. But like general NBA talent, like you, he is going to find a way to make games competitive for the most part. And that's a testament to how good he's gotten going from, you know, all NBA caliber superstar to a guy who was right in the thick of an MVP race again. Two things I want to touch on, because I'm glad you brought up the passing one. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Tom West, his excellent piece today, uh, just kind of diving into some of the things you were just talking about with Embiid as a playmaker and how much he's improved, how he's finding, like not like how he's assessing the floor and, moving guys around uh, with double teams or even in anticipation of double teams, moving teams around or moving guys around and just how more cerebral he's become on that in that aspect of the game. And then two, I think about how 
Matisse Stiebel has kind of gained a little bit of chemistry and thrived a little bit offensively, helping Joel off that dunker spot, helping him with some of his movement. And I can't help but think, man, um, Ben Simmons with this improved Joel Embiid, there might be something here. Now, I want to talk more about Ben Simmons. We have to take a quick break. We're going to have more with Jackson Frank on the other side. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we are back and we are talking Joel Embiid, his greatness Wednesday night, 50-point game. And Daryl Morey had some very interesting comments on uh, Mike Missanelli's show on 97.5 The Fanatic pertaining to Joel Embiid and perhaps Joel Embiid and his greatness and how well he has played up to this point, maybe changing the calculus on a Ben Simmons trade. For those of you who didn't hear it, basically Daryl Morey and the Sixers have been staunch in saying they need a top 30 player. They need an all-star if they're good. They need an impact player. If they are going to trade uh, Ben Simmons, if they're going to make a deal before the February 10th trade deadline. On the Mike Missanelli show today, Daryl Morey softened on that stance just a little bit. Kind of talked about the idea of with how well Joel's playing. Well, maybe we don't need a top 30 guy. Maybe we can use like a top 40 guy, but a top 40 guy that fits really well. Um, mentioned, you know, the specifically the, the Sacramento offer that we've all seen circulating around was brought up. And I thought Daryl, it was interesting that Daryl, instead of just swatting it down right away, kind of mentioned that. You know, Sacramento, that the Kings, that there could be a fit there. There could be a trade to be made. It, it's it's very possible. But um, and then also kind of at the end, suggesting that a trade is less likely after he said a lot of things that made it seem almost more likely. Uh, but I want to start um, with all these comments, Jackson. I kind of want to get your take on the the one kind of report. Uh, I know Keith Pompey had it. I think there was one other maybe uh, outlet that may have posted something similar. But the framework of the Sixers trading Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris to the Sacramento Kings. Um, some reports said Matisse Thibel involved. Who knows? Uh, and then the Sixers would get back Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, and two first-round picks. Uh, you see that trade, What just that report, what are kind of your initial thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think you, you look at that and you you say, what's, what's the holdup, right? If, if you're the Sixers. Um, not only do you, you know, finally get players to play in place of Ben Simmons on a team that, you know, is on 57 win pace when your, your superstar Joel Embiid suits up, uh, you also, you know, move off of a guy in Tobias Harris who was really good last year. But other than that, during his six or tenure, you know, has not been very good. And he doesn't really fit with Joel. 
and he has two and a half years left on his deal. And, you know, he's maybe probably maybe was his peak season last year. And then you also get back, you know, two first round picks for a organization that has historically not had a lot of success. So they could be lottery picks that either you, you get good players that can help you win now for the next couple of years, or, you know, that you can move for another big time star because all of a sudden you have a lot of cap space because you traded your two highest paid players. Um, you know, neither of which I think have really been consistent, often consistent positives for you. Obviously, Ben's been a neutral, but I, I have a tough time saying, you know, Tobias has really helped the Sixers with his play. And again, there's a lot of factors. He's been sick. He's been dealing with injuries, but that's the reality of it. Um, and so I think it's a home run. I think, you know, Heald is a guy who obviously, you know, you know could fill that Furcon role as a guy who largely is off the ball. He's a smart off-ball mover. Um, neither are very good defensively, but also you can trust them a little bit to handle the ball. Like they're not, you know, total stiffs with the ball in their hands. Um, and then you get a guy in Tyrese Halberton who is, you know, gets better. He's gotten better like four or five years in a row. And I tweeted that yesterday and people are like, he's only in year two, but I'm, I'm t- like, I've watched Tyrese since he was, you know, I've watched a little bit in high school and watched him all a lot since he was been in, you know, a, a rookie or start freshman in college. And he's way better than that. Um, he gives them the connective passing that they really don't have outside of Joel, um, so that would be huge. He's based on the floor. I think he's a 44% three point shooter. Then you get Harrison Barnes, who, um, you know, is a guy who I think fits better as an off ball score than Tobias. He's better attacking the rim. I think a little more forceful and decisive in decisions. And also a guy who shot above league average from three on good volume for a few years now. So, um, I look at that and I say, that's absolutely a deal that they should, they should, uh, take because, you know, it's not, not like you're trading Tobias and you get like, you're trying, you're reluctantly trading, you're trading him because, he doesn't fit well with you and he is ha- his deal, excuse me, is hamstringing them financially. So, um, and then you move off Ben, who again, hasn't played at all. I think it's a really, really good deal that, you know, puts this team in a great position with a lot of depth, like a lot of good players. And I think that that would be good. I think, you know, beyond maybe a lack of a star creator, the guard depth off the bench with shaken for con is kind of a weak point for this team. And if all of a sudden you have your guard depth being buddy healed, Terry's Halbert and Terry's Max and Seth Curry, you're in a pretty dang good spot on top of everything else I mentioned. Yeah. I, I can't really argue with anything you just said. I, it's like really, I, and I think about it because you talk about the depth and just how much better, like the Sixers actually have pretty good depth compared mm-hmm. to some seasons in the past. And to add three more guys who are ready to be, well, I guess you would technically say two since you're trading to buy as well, but two extra guys for your rotation who would fit in very easily um, and would fit. I mean, quite frankly, all three of these guys fit, fit better next to Joel and B than, than really Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris. So when you think of it like that, um, I think that's a pretty large factor and you have just the options of that. Cause uh, we kind of taught, we're hashing it out in our Liberty baller Slack channel. And just the idea of maybe for this year you bring in, you know, let's say you do that deal. You probably start, like a combination of Maxi Curry and then maybe Thibel at the three, Barnes at the four, and Beat at the five. Then you're bringing in Halliburton, uh, Heald, Danny Green, Niang, Drummond. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a solid ten guys right there that I think you'd feel very comfortable with. And I know you and I have discussed in the past that um, it's. I guess it doesn't get talked about as much because you know he played. Their Sacramento's a bad team and they're not going anywhere, and he's not necessarily like you know an all-star guy or anything but buddy healed has is really impressed me this year i i think he's improved a, a pretty good deal i think he looks like he's in the best shape he's ever been in too he looks good he moves he's moving very well like you mentioned the defense 
it's just always going to be a weakness for him. But if you can at least if he can at least come here and give effort on that end, the guy takes 10 threes a game and shoots damn near 40 percent. I mean, that's ridiculous volume. And for that for that that percentage of that volume is crazy. And the Sixers just flat out need a guy who will take 10 threes like they just they don't have like. You know, Seth Curry, for as great of a shooter as he is, he will he just drives you nuts with sometimes those pump fakes on those semi-open threes when he just and he'll dip in and then take a long two. And it's like, man, just take that, take that semi-covered three. Um, Buddy Heald will not have that hesitation. Buddy Heald will get the ball in, in his hands and out of his hands as, as quickly as he got it. Um, so I, I, I just look at and then yeah, like you mentioned Harrison Barnes too, and it it's an intang it's not an it's it's a it's an intangible thing, it's not a tangible thing, but the guys played on, on a championship team when he was with the Warriors. He was kind of, you know, he was whatever the fourth piece there when, when you're looking at how good, you know, Steph, Clay, and um, Draymond were, and, and they're during their first kind of title run. And Harrison Barnes is a really nice complimentary guy to those guys. So to bring in a guy who has that experience and has experience playing off of stars, that can't hurt. Uh, it certainly can hurt. And like you said, he's over 40% on a pretty decent volume. Uh, um, much more decisive player. I mean, I, I think him and Tobias actually have some some similar kind of limitations, but I think Barnes, his willingness and ability to shoot the three ball, whereas Harris, as he's gotten here, has shot less and has hit less threes. Um, for whatever reason that is, uh, since he's left the Clippers, it just seems like it's it's gone down um, a, a scotch as far as quantity and quality. So, yeah. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, you could come back this summer Armed with two first round picks because a Sacramento Kings draft pick is always a good investment. Um, you can come back with two of those and a, a really attractive young guard in Tyrese Halliburton. And, you know, forgive me, Sixers fans, because I know everyone loves him, but another really attractive young guard in Tyrese Maxey. So if you want to take that big swing, maybe if Dame Lillard's available or someone of that ilk um, becomes available and you want to sweeten the pot with one of those guys, you can do it. Um, I think that's still so you're. I mean, basically, you're trading Ben Simmons, which you're probably going to have to do anyway at some point, it mostly looks like. You're getting off the contract of Tobias Harris, which you already touched on. And then you still are getting pieces back that are very good, that can help you now and potentially can help you down the road either as actual players or as assets in a bigger move. So, yeah, I agree with you. If that deal was on the table then I don't know what the hell, why is it not done? Um, which makes me think that perhaps it's not on the table. So we'll see. But um, I, I just I just thought Maury's comments in general were just really interesting because, like I said, like, you know, he was on this very same radio show before and said this could drag out for four years. Now he's saying, like, well, we're going to tr- basically say we're going to try to trade him. We're going to do everything we can to do it. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting stand, uh, change in approach and change in stance. And then again, as I mentioned, with Joel Embiid playing so well, and that also obviously changing Daryl Morey's calculus. So for you, Jackson, after seeing these comments and, and you know, knowing what we've heard, and I want to also preface, you know, yesterday that the reports from, from Shams and from uh, Sam Amick of The Athletic both kind of shooting down the notion that the Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton are available. Who the hell knows? It's all posturing. Trade deadline is coming up. This, these are the things that come that happen in, in the back and forth. But taking in everything we've seen reported so far and with Maury's comments, as we sit here on January 20th, 
Do you feel like a Ben Simmons trade is more or less likely to happen on February 10th or by February 10th, I should say? Yeah, I, I feel it's more likely. And here's the key thing that, that stood out to me from, you know, I didn't listen to Daryl's, you know, media radio appearance, but I, I was following all the quotes and they were being shared everywhere. Um, the part that stood out to me is when he was talking about the way Joel has elevated the team and how that's impacted the team's aspirations, ceiling, whatever you want to call it. He said, because Joel is playing amazing, has lifted us into probably 5% plus title odds just on his play. Now maybe we'll do it with the top 40 players, a great fit. Uh, two things there. One, many years ago, there was a feature on, I think exactly right, on Grantland, uh, where Daryl Morey said, if you've got even a 5% chance to win the title, and that group includes a very small number of teams every year, you've got to be focused all on winning the title. And to me, all folk, like focused all on winning the title means like you're moving Ben Simmons. Like that, right? Like you, if, if the goal is to win a title this year and you be, believe you have, you've met that threshold of 5% or better, that includes Ben. Uh, and so, and then two, changing from top 30 to top 40, I think makes the criteria there a little more nebulous because top 30, like if you're just going for an all-star, you know, there are some people, there are some all-star caliber players who don't make it every year and haven't made an all-star team and whatnot, but it's a little more well-defined, right? Like either you make an all-star game or you don't, right? And so top 40, that next 10, like obviously not everyone's going to agree on what a top 30 versus a top 40 player is, but when you remove kind of that that tangible title of being an actual all-star, being selected to that game, it kind of makes it easier to, to pitch to yourself or whatever you view to pitch to fans that, yeah, this guy's top four. Maybe you don't think so, but we do. Like, you know, you know what I mean? So those two things really stood out to me there. And I just feel like something's going to happen. There just feels like way too much smoke around the around what the Kings are going to do at the deadline. Their involvement with the Sixers. There are players that, as you mentioned, fit well what the Sixers have currently. Um, and so I just I don't I don't know about you know when we were in the Slack kind of some of us were talking about what our confidence interval is about a deal getting done. I don't have a number there, but I just feel like given who like the way Daryl's operated in the past and the language he used, it felt very very calculated to prepare for a deal. And I just, I just feel like based on all of the reports, it, it seems like one's going to get done. So um, I could be wrong in three weeks, but I just, it just seems like the wording was very particular. And and Daryl likes to be pretty public facing, but is also careful with the words he uses. And so I don't think anything was was said off the cuff. I think it was very intentional. And um, you know, so I think if you not to read between the lines, but I think if you just know. Kind of the way Daryl operates, and kind of assume what the distinguishing factor is between top thirty and forty. It feels like you know there's there's a lot of credence in the deal getting done between now and the deadline. Yeah, just it's a again just a, it, the way I, I would put it is just softening the stance because they were mm -hmm. so like he literally was on this exact sh that exact show <laughs> a couple months ago and said we basically we will hold him for four years if we have to. Um, so for him to change it to the point where he's saying like, ah, well, you know, maybe now we can settle for a top 40 player and maybe we can get like a young guy and some draft picks. And yeah. And it's like, okay, well that that's not the way you were talking at all. Um, a couple months ago. And it's, it's interesting too, because from the people I kind of talk to close to the team or kind of, I guess you would say that kind of have an understanding of the way the team thinks that was what you touched on with the 5% and the title odds. That was the reason why they didn't want to trade Ben Simmons is because they mm -hmm. viewed it as, and why really why he's still here. They viewed it as if Ben Simmons comes back and plays, that gives us that our title odds are better with that 
than whatever we might have gotten for him in a trade in, say, September when he requested it. And mm-hmm. that makes sense. I mean, it really does when you really think about it. And now people were talking about, ah, yeah, you know, Malcolm Brogdon in a first. And people were kind of like, ah, that, that might have not been bad. That might have been nice. And now it's like, okay, well, now look at this ridiculous package you might be able to get from the Kings. And it's like, okay, well, maybe Maury was kind of smart to, to wait because this package seems like it's, you know, it's much more worthwhile. So this will be the last thing I ask you. And I'm just, it, just a quick follow-up because I'm curious your thoughts. If we're looking at top 40 players and, you know, we're talking about a team like the Kings, do you think it's Maury tries to sell? And I think it's a, I don't think it's a, a crazy sell. I think it's a fair sell that do you think he tries to sell that Tyrese Halliburton can become a top 40 player? Or do you think that Halliburton is more of the quote unquote young piece he's referring to and that there would have to be another team involved that would have to have a top 40 player? in order to make that whole deal work. Yeah, that, that's the thing that was a bit of a hangup because, you know, based on the framework of players we've discussed involved on, this, on the King side, they don't have a top 40 guy, right? Like I, anyone who you know, has talked with me over the last two months knows how high I am on Halliburton's fit and his development, but I wouldn't call him a top 40 guy right now. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I really don't. That's the part that was so hard for me to discern. A lot of what Daryl said, I felt like, pretty good about how I interpreted it, but that part was confusing. And I, I don't have a great read on it. I think it's probably he, he, to me, that's, you know, cause he was talking about, didn't he have some language like about a guy who was of Maxi's caliber? I think he probably yes. used his first name, but to, to me, like, you know, when you look at a redraft, you know, of, of that, that class, you know, Halliburton and Maxi are guys that are mentioned among the top five, maybe even one of them's top three, depending on who guys prefer. So that, that feels pretty, pretty clear about like, who, who are you targeting? A young guy of, of Maxi's caliber, a guy from the same class, same name, both two very promising second-year players. Um, that that feels pretty easy to, to figure out. But he's not top 40 right now, and neither of Barnes or Heald are top 40 players either. Even if I think they fit, you know, well in the Sixers and kind of what the Sixers want to accomplish, you know, around Joel or how they want to play, I should say. Obviously, they want to accomplish a title around Joel. Um, but, I mean, you know, the guys that come to mind that would be top 40 or, you know, in some people's eyes, you know, would be, you know, Jalen Brown has been, you know, the, the Celtics obviously are a bit of, you know, having another down year, but of disarray. There's been some rumors around that. I don't know how legitimate, you know, the, the interest is in terms of the, the Celtics wanting to move off of Jalen Brown. Um, you know, the Pelicans are kind of a weird spot. I don't feel like Brandon Ingram's available. He's also been pretty dang impressive, you know, over the last, yep. especially the last two months, maybe the last month. Um, but those are two guys. It seems like, maybe could be available and would fit that top 40 criteria. John Collins as well, um, I think would probably be, I don't know if I'd quite have him top 40. I'd have to think about it, but I, you know, I don't think it's a stretch. Like if Daryl said that he's top 40, I wouldn't be like, Oh, you're, you're really yeah. just trying to posture to, to save, you know, face or with the, you know, trying to PR PR yeah, statement there. So I would say John Collins is pretty easily top 50. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would have to th- I mean, you'd, it'd also be tough because you have to separate. like, do you separate from the fact that he plays the guy like Trey Young? Do you not? But right. um, but I think he's he's very clearly a, a great like a very good player. And if you move off of Tobias, then the fit is really really clear, right? Like if if it's a three team or involving the Kings, the Sixers, and and the Hawks, and Tobias is going to read my mind, <laughs> yeah, you know, the Kings, then then right there, John Collins slots in pretty well. Um, he you know he is a guy who it, defenses don't really respect him a ton from three, but he shot over 40% from three last couple of years. I think he's about 39% since his second year in the league. 
I can play the dunker spot pretty well because he's a great finisher, uh, has improved as a passer. He can, he's certainly a better, like if you run him off the line, he's certainly better making reads than Tobias is on the move. Um, he's a pretty good help to the rim protector as well. You know, he's not a guy you want to rely on, but you don't have to because they have Joel Embiid there. Um, so that's, that's where I would kind of go is it feels like it's lined to be some sort of three team or it's three teams, right. That feel like a shakeup is imminent for them. The Hawks have had kind of a, a weird year because of some injuries and some regression from players. And they're, they've won a couple of games recently. So maybe they're figuring it out, but certainly not the year they expected after such an awesome season uh, a year ago, the Kings obviously seem like they want to shake things up. The Sixers, I don't know about shake things up as much as like, just find a way to get better given how well Joel is playing. So that's to me what it feels like as it feels like a Kings Hawks Sixers three team deal and um, feels like about the most teams you get involved, given the players that, that would be moved. It doesn't feel like you get out of fourth team to make it, make it feasible. People love throwing four teamers and on Twitter and elsewhere, but that doesn't really happen given all the, all the players that would already be moved in this hypothetical that we've discussed. Right. And I, I kind of view it like, I guess I would be interested in that. Cause that's, that was what you just described is exactly what I thought would be like, all right, well, if John Collins is possibly available, he kind of fits into that top 40. And then also, like you said, if, you, if you're moving Tobias in this deal, then John Collins is a much cleaner fit. I would actually argue he's a very good fit at that point. Um, so then I kind of wonder what the Hawks would want. Um, Does De'Aaron like Fox I, get involved? Like, is that, that's, I don't know. I don't yeah, love I don't know. Fox next to, next to Trey Young, but right. you know, because you get, because if, if John Collins is getting moved and Ben, and ben Simmons is getting moved, you know, there's, there has to be a third big time player, right? That, you know, everyone well, has to get compensated well. So my thought was one, I mean, Matisse plus maybe. Cause Matisse, yeah, I just clearly yeah, looking I, for defense and yeah, I just, I just worry that like, I, like what you had to be, what would the plus be? Right. Because as good as right. Matisse is defensively, he's certainly a lot worse than John Collins overall. And you're not saying otherwise, but like, I just, you know, I just wonder like, is, is De'Aaron Fox the guy there? And maybe the Kings don't want to move both of their, their promising young guards, but um, you know, I just, you just, I feel like a third big time, you know, name, not a name, just a very good quality starter would have to be involved there. And that's where the fourth team comes in now. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, and I've thought all along that this was going to, I mean, I, I, I with Daryl Morey running things, this was never going to be a simple two teams trading a guy or two and clean. And that's it. Like, it's going to be, we've seen some of the trades that he's orchestrated over the years and there's just been some weird wacky stuff in there. Literally How orchestrated the most in, the, compl- in the in the Capella one. The wasn't the like wasn't that one like the most convoluted. Like we, they got Covington, yes. Capella. My, like was the D'Angelo Russell thing part of it? Uh, Malik Beasley. There was a whole bunch of moving parts. It two was. Years ago, so I believe it was the most. It was the most players exchanged in one single trade in NBA history. I could be mistaken <laughs> on that. There, 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 I mean, almost positive. there was a lot of guys and there was a lot of notable players as well. All the ones yeah. I just mentioned. So and it's funny because all they got all all Maury got in return was Covington. And all the complicated things were with the other teams, but that was what Maury wanted Covington because he wanted to do that small ball uh, lineup, which was just, just a lot of fun um, to watch, even though it didn't quite work out the way they wanted. So, to so the Sixers are getting Damon Lillard, is what you're saying? Then they're gonna, yeah. it's gonna be all these, all these guys getting moved, and and it's gonna get one player back as well. Well, either him or Bradley Beal, I would think. Obviously, no. Uh, <laughs> it was a four teamer though. I just I, I do want to rehash it for just for fun though. It's uh, it says four team trade. Houston gets Robert Covington, Atlanta got Clint Capella and Nene. Minnesota got Malik Beasley, Wancho Ron Gomez, and Evan Turner. And an Atlanta first-round pick. Denver got Gerald Green and the Houston first-round pick. So seven or eight players there, I think, maybe six or seven, and a couple of picks. So lots lots going on there that day a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, I remember it was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's hope it's not maybe quite that complicated. <laughs> but let's say hey, if it works out for the Sixers, then great. Then let let it be as complicated as 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 Daryl Morey wants it to be. If it works out for the Philadelphia 76ers. I want to thank my guest Jackson Frank today, and I want to thank all of you guys for checking out the Coming In for a Landing podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Please rate, subscribe wherever you download, or download, excuse me, wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Paul Hudrick, and I will talk to you guys next time.